Welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. I'm your host, Bo Kennedy. Join us as we go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. Hey there, believers. I have an incredible show for you today about Bigfoot. Um, This one comes from a gentleman named Dennis out of Missouri. He and I met over Instagram and kicked around the idea of him coming onto the podcast to share his story. Little did I know that this man has had a lifetime of experiences and encounters, uh, especially the one out of the Ozark trails that just made my jaw drop. I was absolutely floored and I'm I'm excited for you to hear it. Also, through talking with Dennis, he he shed some insight that I've never heard anywhere else that really gave me pause. It's a lot of things to consider about the origins of Bigfoot um, and who it is. So sit back and relax, and please share the hell out of this. My interest in these bipeds started... In the '60s, I you know I read I read an article about Edmund Hillary and uh, Marlon Perkins, uh, you know, traveling off to Nepal to either prove or disprove the existence of Yeti, and uh, I mean after that I, I was hooked. I was convinced from day one, really, uh, without ever having at that point a personal experience that these were genuine beings. Uh, you know. I just, it, it never got away from me. When I was a kid, I, like I said, I spent a lot of summer months down in rural southeast Missouri. My grandfather, uh, he was really my great uncle, but I always called him my grandpa. Uh, Jimmy Doyle, he had built a two-room log cabin down in old Bloomsdale, Missouri. And he felled the trees, built the cabin by hand, and, and it wasn't 20 feet from the forest, you know, the back end of the cabin. And it was, uh, you know, it was an old-fashioned cabin. We, we had a cistern that you had to pump the water out of. I did not have inside toilet. You know, it had an outhouse. So very rural, very simple people, but um, loving family, spent a lot of time there. Now, at night, of course, back in the 60s in the rural part of Missouri, there are no street lights. There are... You know, this was a two-lane blacktop, and and his nearest neighbors were probably at least a mile away. So it was all rural, all forested, you know, no one around. And at night, late at night, you could hear this knocking in the woods. 
And, you know, I tried to rationalize what it was. And every time I thought of something, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I'd hear these knocking on the trees, and it was, um, you know, done in intervals. There might be three knocks, and then, you know, 30, 40 seconds later, there'd be another three knocks. So this is fairly common and close in the woodlines where my great-uncle lived. And at the time, I just did not know, you know, what it could be. I, I thought maybe, well, what is it, a uh, pileated woodpecker, you know, that, that can't sleep and is in there banging on trees? Um, I thought maybe at one point I thought it was, uh, you know, a rogue uh, logging operation perhaps, you know, somebody chopping on a tree with an axe or something. But, I mean, it's pitch black. This is in the middle of the night, you know, 10, 12 o'clock at night, and here you have this knocking. Uh, so I knew that it wasn't anything that could be readily explained. Time goes on. Uh, one of the more memorable <laughs> uh, events in my life, as far as Bigfoot is concerned, you know, we didn't we didn't hear the term Bigfoot until later on, decades later. Uh, but in 1972, in July, I was again staying with my uncle. Now he lived up north uh, in Wentzville at the time, and uh, in the 60s, or excuse me, this was 72. Uh, Wentzville was still fairly rural, so it was a lot of country. You know, a lot of farmers, a lot of uh, a lot of farms with with not only cattle and livestock, but you know, agricultural as well. There was nothing around, and he lived in this old framed farmhouse, two story farmhouse, and it just happened that in July of '72, it was myself, my sister. My cousin, my aunt, my uncle. Now, we, we had stayed up late. We're in the kitchen of this old farmhouse, just shooting the bull. When we heard the chickens outside, something was disturbing the chickens, and immediately we thought, well, coyotes, something like that. So my uncle steps out the, the back door is where the kitchen is, and, and the, the chicken coop, um, you know, it, it was probably – I don't know, maybe 30 yards from the house, maybe less than that, actually. Uh, but my uncle goes out trying to figure out what it is, and he shined a flashlight on a creature that was at least seven foot tall. And now get this, it was white. Uh, it had its arms thrown up over the chicken coop, and it was trying to get at the chickens. But when he put the flashlight on the creature, it turned around, and when it turned around, it just kind of, you know, uh, used its upper torso to move like it couldn't swivel its head all that well and looked right at him, and, and he jumps back in the house. He comes running in the house. Now, I got to tell you, at this point, I did not see the creature. Uh, his, his description, he was sweating. And my, <laughs> my uncle was a dark-complected man. He was stone-cold white, sweating bullets, and you could see he had just witnessed something that was unexplainable, and he described it. We grabbed a couple of 30-30s, and we actually gave chase. He said that the creature ran down the gravel driveway. We were up on a hill, and he said before it hit the two-lane blacktop, it dropped down on all fours momentarily. And when it hit the two-lane, it jumped up, crossed the road in a step. It really was just a two-lane blacktop and cleared a four-foot 
barbed wire fence with the grace and agility of an Olympic athlete and made a diagonal path through a cornfield right into the woods. So we gave chase. He had a 30-30, I had a 30-30, both of them loaded. We, we crossed the road, ducked under the fence, and, and clearly something huge had made a path through the cornfield and into the woods. And we got to the wood line. I went left. He went right. And I went in maybe 100 yards. Um, I didn't hear anything at that moment. I put my back to a tree. And it was really kind of creepy because the forest itself had gone completely quiet. I mean, I'm not, there's no crickets, you know, no insects, no nothing, no frogs, nothing, no sound at all. It was just eerily quiet. So I'm telling you, I must have stayed out there for 45 minutes listening for anything. Uh, when I heard, finally heard my uncle calling for me, I made my way back to the edge of the woods where the field begins. And I asked him, had he seen anything? And he, he really just had done the same thing I had done. He said he went into the forest on the right, maybe 100 yards or so, and, and put his back to a tree as well. But nothing. He did say that he saw some tracks. Uh, what's interesting about this is, now we went back to the house, we told the family, and of course they were all laughing and, and, and chuckling about it. My uncle was a great trickster. He, he was just a jovial person uh, who loved to entertain people or, you know, but he was a prankster. So my aunt said that, you know, there's something that he fabricated. Mm. Um, and, you know, I believed every word he said, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Uh, he was not a cut in the line, and the look on his face when he came in the house was just was just incredible. Uh, so time goes on, and this is like two weeks later, the media broke nationally that in that area up in Louisiana, Missouri, which was not really far from where we were at, there was a major sighting of a creature, an unknown creature. Nobody called it Bigfoot. Uh, but it was more than one sighting by a multitude of people in Louisiana, Missouri. It was right up the 79 corridor, which is a uh, two-laner uh, that parallels the Mississippi River from Winfield all the way up to Louisiana, Missouri. It's a beautiful ride, still country to this day. Uh, you know, you get these rolling hills, just gorgeous scenery. And oddly enough, just past Louisiana, Missouri is a conservation area today called Ted Shanks conservation area where multitudes of contemporary sightings continue to this very day. So, wow. uh, but here's the deal. Two weeks later, after our uh, experience and my own personal experience, the media broke and it was national. I mean, there were sightings all up and down the 79 corridor. Now people were reporting black ones, brown ones, red, you know, these, these two young girls were at a lookout point off the 79, which overlooks the Mississippi River. And they, uh, their story was that in broad daylight, a, uh, a massive figure, seven foot tall, came out of the woods. They were in a Volkswagen Beetle and was shaking their car and, and banging on their car. It scared them to death. Anyway, it made national news. Yeah, this is uh, right. Go ahead. I said this. This is the Momo story that everybody knows now, this, right? Yeah, this is the this is the famous Momo story, um, and and that really people just concentrated on the sightings in Louisiana, Missouri at Men's Hill because it lingered for a couple of days. 
Uh, you know, there were all kinds of witnesses who got a glimpse of it. Someone reported that uh, they saw it with a dead dog in its arms, um, you know, and it hung around for several days. But what, what the media failed to recognize was this was happening all up and down the 79 corridor, even west of 79 into Wentzville, which is where my uncle lived. You know, they follow, uh, what do you need? You need shelter, food, and, uh, you know, to survive and walk. That's it. That's all you need. So they got the Mississippi River. And in my opinion, this, is a, this was a, a migrating event. I think personally there's probably at least 4,500 Bigfoot in North America. Uh, so over the years, you know, I've kind of got this idea that there's a migration pattern. Now, we have what I consider to be small populations of the Bigfoot right here in Missouri, and they don't, they don't go anywhere. They're, they're here. Uh, this is their home. But I do think that there's a migration events where maybe they, they get together, you know, for one purpose or another. Who knows? Reading, something like that. But they move along the major arteries of water, and Mississippi River is right there. So a couple of – well, this has been a while. There was a book out there, and I think it's Lauren Coleman. I could be mistaken. There's another author out there that writes. Anyway, either Lauren Coleman or someone else wrote the book, uh, The True Story of Bigfoot in America, um, or The True Story of Apes in America. It's called Bigfoot. He mentioned – in his book, that in July of 1972, and this is what brought it home for me, um, in Cairo, Illinois, which is across the Mississippi and South, someone reported seeing a white Bigfoot, but they didn't call it a Bigfoot. You know, they saw a white seven-foot-tall creature. So that really, you know, just confirmed what my uncle saw. Um, but after that, I mean, my gosh. I was absolutely hooked. I was hooked the day I read Marlon. You know, Marlon Perkins used to be the director of the St. Louis Zoo here in St. Louis. And uh, he had a show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Right. And, you know, I used to watch that religiously. uh, And anything that had to do with, uh, you know, exotic animals or exotic places or jungles. So, you know, I'm hooked, right? Now, after 72, you know, there's a period of years where, you don't have any experiences. It, it doesn't. It's not like it happens every day. But before any of this, before media was, you know, such a vast thing. Before there was internet, I was always in the woods and always on the lookout for these creatures. Um, and I had I've been doing that my, in my entire adult life. So the the events really kind of step up. I mean, there's a lot in between 72 and the 2000s, but the 2000s have been particularly active. One of the, one of the best and most frightening and exhilarating and unbelievable experiences I've had was in October of 2016. And I'll kind of skip around a little bit. Okay. Um, for years and years, I soloed. I, I backpacked everywhere, um, and I and I, you know, I did some things I probably shouldn't have done by myself. I've, I've been in the areas where it probably wasn't very smart for uh, one person to go into, but I did, and that's the way I did it for years. Uh, 
I was up north in, in Lincoln County, and I was actually following up a report. This was in 2010. Uh, there was a couple who were in a conservation area, and they said that they were chased out of the woods. Uh, they, were, they were actually at a lake, and they were chased out of the woods by a Bigfoot in broad daylight who was just in the tree. You know, they were on the path heading down to the lake, and it was maybe, I don't know, 10 yards into the woods pacing them. So I decided that I was going to go up there and check out the area. Uh, and, I, and, and it was really, you know, rule once you got into it. I, I couldn't even find a parcel for hours that I was looking for. The property had several lakes on it. It was a conservation area. And when I initially got there, I thought, well, there's just too many people here. There was a firing range, you know, uh, an ammunition range or people shooting guns, you know, and things like that. This is impossible. This didn't happen. So I got to looking around. I drove around the property searching for this particular lake that they were talking about. They said it was isolated through some wood. You couldn't see it from the road. And it was all gravel throughout this property, throughout this conservation area. It was just a, a gravel road. And I'm taking my time surveying the area, and I'm looking at each lake, and and I would get out, and I would look at these lakes, and I'm like, this doesn't fit the description. This doesn't fit the description. Um, and so I'm there. I'm there before the sun came up, you know, and because that's the way I do things. Um, and I'm still thinking in my mind, I don't know. This just doesn't seem feasible. So I searched the area on this property, and I did not find the lake that these people were describing. So I thought to myself, and I always carry maps. So I got out a map, and I looked at this conservation area on the map to find out that there were two parcels of land that constituted this area uh, that was owned by the state or whatever the case may be. So I drove out of the backside of this property, and it was still a gravel road, and I'm, I just see miles and miles of corn. And I finally come to a blacktop, two-lane blacktop, and I make a left, and, and I, I'm going to go about five miles maybe, and I still just could not locate this other piece of property. So I saw a hunter. Uh, he was in a gravel parking lot, and I pulled in, and I asked him about the area, this, this Logan Conservation Area that I was at. And he says, oh, yeah, you got to go back up the road maybe a mile. And he goes, it's a little bitty gravel road. You'll miss it if you blink. Uh, there's a lot of overhanging trees and things. He goes, make a left there, and then you'll you'll find the property. So I drove back. Sure enough, it was just you would not you would think it was somebody's driveway that went off somewhere. But I made the left. Uh, long story short, I found the property. It's just so isolated. And parked my truck, got my gear together, and I started to hike through this property. Now I I did not intend <laughs> to to make it an all day deal. Uh, or spend the night, you know, I wasn't really prepared. I didn't have any gear to spend the night in the woods or anything like that. But I started hiking this area, and it is bushy. And I mean, really bushy. There's there's prairie grass that's six, seven foot tall. And, I, you know, I don't know what kind of grasses they call it, but it was just a sea of grass. And one of the descriptions, uh, there were there were several ponds or, or small lakes on this property, this secondary property that I was trying to find. Um, and I saw some trees growing up in the middle of this tall grass, and I just thinking to myself, there's probably a lake there. You know, it's probably a pond where these trees grow. They got, you know, they're tapping down into the water or whatever. 
So I just plunge headfirst in the seven-foot grasses, and I'm just making my way through. And I get all the way to the trees, and, of course, there's no lake. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I just came through all this mess. I'm highly allergic to poison ivy. Um, so I come out, and then I, I pick up a, a, a brush hog trail. And I start walking in, and it's, it's getting deeper and deeper in the woods. And, you know, I guess I'm hiking about an hour, and I, and I come up. I come up to this section where there was no more trail. It hadn't been accessed in years, you could tell by anyone. So I'm standing there looking around when I see these saplings pulled down. They were living saplings. They were still in the ground at the root, but they had been pulled over into an arch um, and pinned down by this log that probably went two, 300 pounds. And I thought, well, that's a bit unusual. Another Underneath it, there was a depression. It was about eight foot in diameter. And I looked to my right, and there's another one in the same fashion. These living trees have been pulled over. Now, the diameter of these trees probably, I'm thinking four inches. Ain't no human could do anything like that. You know, good luck with the strongest man. Uh, underneath it was a, was a depression about the same as the other, about eight foot in diameter. And it, the leaves had been packed down. So I... I got this feeling that I was being watched, and I thought, oh, this is, this is pretty creepy. Um, and suddenly, I guess maybe, I don't know, five yards behind me, this massive vine snaps out of a tree and just comes crashing down. And it's, it's not far from me at all. I'm thinking that's a strange coincidence being, you know, things do happen in the woods, but, I mean, are you there when it happens all the time? Or, you know, what are the odds that that's going to happen? So I'm filming this when it crashes and I look around and there's this big vine laying there. I traveled, I, I guess I went another mile beyond that. And it, it started getting very, very dark and very, very remote. And I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, I got to get back. I got to get back to the truck. Uh, Cause I'm not prepared to stay out here uh, tonight. So I, I got back in my truck. I, I drove back to the main property. Just going to cut through on the way out. And I went through the entire property without seeing this lake where these people had this experience. Suddenly, I caught a glint out of my eye, and I saw the lake. So I, I turned around, and I go down, I, I park my truck, get out, walk down to this lake. And sure enough, you do have to walk through the woods. Oh, I stopped at one lake on the property. And as soon as I get out of my truck, I smell this stench. And I mean, it is, it's like a rotting corpse or something. And I look over, and it's maybe 20 yards away. I see this big cinnamon, fuzzy cinnamon thing just laying in the grass. And, you know, I'm thinking Bigfoot, right, because I'm looking for Bigfoot. I'm like, what is this? Well, you know, and it's stinking. And and I'm thinking, my gosh, is this – could this be? When I walk over there, well, what it was was a dog, a very, very big, long-haired, cinnamon-colored dog. And for whatever reason – Something had taken the head. You know, I don't know about predation and animals, but I don't think they usually take the head. But there is this headless dog laying there. So I thought, this is not it. I'm, I get back in. Wow. I finally find the lake. I go through the woods. I'm standing at the edge of the lake, and there was a flood. The flood kept me out of this region for a couple of weeks. And so the, the flood had subsided. The lake was back in its banks, but the lake, was, was kind of, the lake edge was kind of muddy. And I look down, and sure enough, I see these 16-foot, 16-inch tracks. And I put my my foot next to it, and I'm thinking, my God, that is enormous. 
So I'm looking around for the other footprint. You know, this is the left foot. And sure enough, at about 1 o'clock from there, I see the right footprint, and I can't make the stretch. You know, I, I try to stretch out with my legs, and I can't make the stretch. So I got to looking around, and there's more. And they were progressively smaller from the original 16, you know, track. They were there also. So I'm guessing that it was a family uh, of three, maybe a, a mother, father, and, and, a, and a juvenile. And they went all the way around uh, the lake and finally up off the lake, the muddy part, and into hard pack and into the woods. So <laughs> I, I worked my way around to the back of the lake, and there's no access. I mean, really, I had to just bushwhack back to the end of this lake because you just can't get to it. And I see a fresh print in the down by the water's edge, but it's only one. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And it's, it's the big one. It's like, you know, 16 inches or so. Uh, so I'm taking pictures when I hear vocalizations and it's coming from the backside uh, in the woods of this lake. And it sounds like multiple, uh, multiple Bigfoot communicating with one another. And they were, they were drinking. You could, you could actually hear them like, in the water, you know, like slurping the water. Uh, there was a creek that ran past this, uh, in, in through this wooded area behind the lake. And you could hear them, you know, kind of sipping or supping on it, you know, on the water, slurping. So I'm trying to record this with my recorder. And it's a pretty windy day. And I didn't realize that. I didn't have a windsock. I just had an old-fashioned handheld uh, handy cam or whatever that was. Um, to get it. So it, it didn't translate. The vocals really didn't translate well that day. But there was uh, times during this year, this is 2010, and I went out a lot. Uh, but let me let me move forward, and then I'll come back. Well, well let, me so, ask, let me ask you real quick. Uh, the vocalizations you heard, what, what did they sound like? Oh, they were they were gibberish. It was like somebody was gibbering. You know, it was uh, very freaky sounding. Um, it wasn't the long, you know, the long calls. Now, mind you, I have heard those as well. But this was so close. They weren't they weren't very far from me. There was a lot of brush, uh, a lot of bush, you know, and overgrowth. Very difficult for me to get back down there. Uh, not that I actually wanted to get right. down close to them. But uh, it was it was garbled. It was like you know something like that, uh, like what, they were gibberish. Did it, did um, like the uh, the samurai chatter. Have you heard them talk about that before? I haven't heard the samurai chatter, but I have heard the um, what is it the the ones way back in the day where they recorded it in the mountains? Was that the Sierra Nevadas? Yeah, the Sierra Snap. Uh, Ron Moorhead. Yeah, the, yeah, they were similar to that. You know, with the garbled gibberish type sound okay um so that's what that sounded like so i'm i'm guessing uh you know that's their language of course they're they're not they don't have the same vocal cords we do right but they do have their own language um and, and let me just interject here my thoughts on what the bigfoot are um you can forget gigantopithecus altogether these are people um what kind of people i would say the first people before sapien sapien. Uh, that's my opinion. They 
because I've had other experiences and up close and in your face, these are people. Uh, so I think, you know, even though people accept the idea that Bigfoot exists, they may be in error, or they may not, that they're calling a, you know, a descendant of Gigantopithecus. I think they're people and possibly the very first people. Um, and we as a human race might have to broaden our idea of what a human being really is. And I mean, you can get into this long story of the human sapien sapien side, but they're people. They are not these wild animals that people think they are. They're people. I'm not saying there aren't subspecies or maybe even hybrids because we know that there are, you know, hybridized beings out there, even in our, uh, even here in, in Missouri, we now have copperhead and cottonmouth breeding naturally and creating a new hybrid. Um, so it's, it's kind of strange, but they are, they have yellow tails. Wow. So, you know, the Bigfoot over however long they've been and however long Sapien Sapien has been here, us, you know, I do think that there was some hybridization going on either through abduction or consent. If you look at some of the, the recent uh, information that's come out about the Denisovans uh, and the relationship between uh, modern-day Tibetans and right. the Denisovans, they carry a long sequence of the same gene. Right. So there was, there was some breeding going on you know, either by consent or, or by abduction, um, or maybe even other means, who knows at that point. But, I mean, if we're thinking naturally, um, that's, you know, that's a great possibility. So I'm saying the Bigfoot may have, indeed have sub, subspecies, uh, you know, a hybrid of some sort. But, I mean, where do you want to go with this? I got, in, 2000, in 2018, I started... I had been on several hikes with multiple people, first time, and it was a different dynamic altogether. I, I was going to hike Desolation Wilderness in California. My brother-in-law was planning for a, a pack-through of uh, a place in Alaska, and I can't remember the name of Crow Pass, maybe? Crow Pass and then uh, pack raft down the Eagle River. So we started training together. Uh, on these very long hikes. And we chose one of the toughest trails, I think, right here in Missouri to train on is the Green Rock Trail in St. Louis County. And it's 14 miles, a little over 14 miles, so it's 14-4. Good place to train. Physically, not so demanding, but there are, and we don't have mountains per se here. Our mountains, uh, the highest is probably 2,200 feet. Uh, but there were a lot of eight and nine hundreds on this on this trail, so it is an exercise uh, to train. You know, if you're going to go on a long distance multi day backpack, so we started doing this. So in in eighteen, no, I'm sorry, in sixteen, we decided that we were going to hike a two day uh, backpacking trip through a very very rugged section. Missouri. So 
I thought this was great. You know, uh, I've been wanting to knock this section out for a long time. I'd have been on other sections, but this was one that I hadn't tackled. By the way, um, in this area, we have a natural place. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a shut-ins, and it's called Johnson Shut-ins. I've gone down there my entire life. Uh, beautiful rhyolite formation. The Black River comes through it. I'm down, and I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, but I, I get this way when I get excited about the subject. Um, I'm down there by myself one morning. Uh, I'm in there, nobody else around. And I, I'm down by the river, the Black River, and, and I'm looking across the river when suddenly, I mean, what are the odds, a tree falls right in my path. I mean, right there. It falls, it's directly in front of me. And I, and I had to chuckle because I've, I've known the habits of these people. You know, for a lot of years before this took place, so I had to laugh. I did not. I did not see a bigfoot push the tree down. But my gosh, that tree has been standing there since it was grown. You know, since it grew in, from a seedling or whatever. And here, suddenly, I'm the only person in the shut-in, and this tree falls directly in my path. And I'm thinking, well, what are the odds of that happen? So anyway, this part of this Ozark Trail is near there. I'll just say we have a. Very old mountain range. It's one of the oldest in North America, the St. Francis Mountains. And it gets rugged. Um, it's an ancient caldera. Uh, and there's a lot of root, hard pack, you know, root and rock. And so it is really, you know, it'll catch you. Now, my brother-in-law called me and he says, hey, would you mind if my daughter and a girlfriend come on this trip? And I thought, wow, that's kind of a pretty rough place. You know, but if they want to come along, they're, they're more than welcome. I mean, they're, they're both in their 20s, whatever the case may be. So there was four of us. Now, man, we planned this whole trip. We, we set out. We're down in Annapolis, Missouri, and this is way out. Um, and we get up at, at 5 o'clock in the morning, and it is the thickest fog I've ever seen in my life. You can't see in front of you. But we're packing up. We get ready to go, and we drive maybe 20 miles uh, north to get back to this area. And we put in, and it's still dark, and we started heading through this trail. We packed in seven hours on the first day. Seven hours, mind you. I had a topographical map. I had picked a spot on the map where I wanted us to camp. We come down the backside of, of this western mountain, and suddenly here was a stream after seven hours. And I said, man, this is perfect. This is a perfect place to pitch our camp. Now, we're not getting out. We might as well just pitch camp here and call it a day. And it was still a uh, good daylight left. We set up camp. Uh, it was a full creek, replenished the water, set up camp, made our dinner, shot the bull. Right around dusk, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I've been packing this backpack for seven hours. I'm tired. And I'm the oldest one of the group, right? So I, I told everybody I was going to go to sleep. Now, we talk about hammer. <laughs> That's when I decided to overnight it was a hammer and so there were two they they set up their tents there were two tents in my hammock and we picked different places you know in the area that we had and we put a stone firing together from from rocks in the creek and um right at dusk we'd already eaten i said that's it for me i i took off i had carried a nine millimeter uh on my hip uh throughout the i don't know if people do that where you're from but you know oh, yeah. i don't go anywhere without packing something and uh, depending on where I'm going, you know, it might be something different. But at this day, I had a 9 millimeter. There were a lot of wild pigs everywhere, and a lot of feral pigs. 
Missouri is, is you know, it has an over, we're overrun with wild pigs. So, uh, and it was evident that they were all around. Uh, you know, there was just acres and acres of, of ground. It was just chewed up. And so I took my nine mil off. I put it in my backpack. I gave it to my brother-in-law. He put it in his tent. I gave, uh, I had a machete for bushwhacking. Uh, gave that to the girls. I gave them my flashlight, everything. I didn't have anything electronic. I didn't have any means of illumination. I had the covers on my back, and, you know, the clothes I was wearing and the covers that I covered up with. That's it. I must have been out in 30 seconds. Now, I have no idea what time of night it was when I was awakened, but I was awakened to the sound of bipedal footsteps coming down the eastern mountains. I know where the next sign of civilization is coming from the east, and it's 10 hours away. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not concerned at the moment. Now, I can't see doodly. It is pitch black. There's no moon. It's a moonless night. It's like a, you know, one of them, I know it happened once a month, but it was a moonless night. And so I can't see my hand in front of my face, but I clearly hear these bipedal footsteps coming down the mountain on the eastern side, and you can eliminate every quadruped on the planet. It was absolutely no way it was a quadruped. So I'm clearly thinking uh, we have uh, a lost hiker coming down the eastern mountain, heading straight for us, by the way. And um, I thought it was odd that the hiker didn't have a flashlight. So I didn't see a flashlight at all, but the sounds kept getting closer and closer. Now, I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, if you come into somebody's camp out in the middle of nowhere, you better announce yourself. Oh yeah, um, I'm from Southern West Virginia, so okay, I, I can relate. Well, you know how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> I relate with every bit of this. Uh, so here's what I'm expecting to happen. All right, this it, it's taken several minutes for these footsteps to get close, and I'm not really concerned. I'm with three other people. You know, we do have weapons, but I don't want to have it on me. But I'm still not concerned. I mean, I lived in the woods my whole life, and I'm thinking this is. You know, no problem. So I'm expecting a hiker to come to the edge of camp and say, hey, I'm lost and I camp here tonight. This is what I'm expecting. So the footsteps come down the mountain. They cross the creek up a berm and then steps into camp. And I'm waiting for that announcement. I still can't see it. Now, when it stepped into camp, it's 30 feet from me. And that's it. You know, that's where it came in. It was so close. And I kept waiting for that announcement, but that did not manifest. What happened next was this thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I instantly knew what it was, and I was paralyzed with fear. You know, I always joked around if I had a face-to-face encounter with the Bigfoot. I'd walk up and give it a Snickers. Anybody that knows me, you know, knows that's my running joke. Let me tell you something. That is the farthest thing from the truth. I was absolutely 100% paralyzed with fear, and I could not move. Now, the only thing that was happening was I thought I was going to have a heart attack when this thing started screaming. Once it started screaming, it never stopped. Mm. My heart was beating so hard, I knew that it hurt me. I knew it hurt my heart. But I'm not thinking I'm going to die by this Bigfoot. I'm thinking I'm going to have a heart attack. 
and I cannot move no matter what. If my brain was telling me to get up and do something, forget about it. I'm like a child. I'm shaken with convulsions uncontrollably, and I'm a grown man. I'm 61 years old, and I have never felt like this in the woods. And we got bear. We got mountain lion. You know, we got the, we got the whole nine. We don't have wolves, but, you know, we got, we got some top predators. And uh, I was never concerned. So I'm absolutely paralyzed with fear, and I cannot move. And this thing is 30 feet from me just throwing a fit, and it is stomping around. And it's bluff charging us, and I still can't see it, but I know exactly what it is because I've experienced them before. Not like this, but I've experienced them before. So I'm thinking, this is not a good situation. I don't have a light. I couldn't respond if I had to. If I had to flip a flashlight on, there's no way. I was absolutely out of it with fear. So it's not happy. It picks up a rock, and it is banging it on this tree. I mean, just hammering it on his tree, screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm guessing it was waiting for one of us to respond. I couldn't do anything, no matter what. I don't care if you're the biggest, toughest, giant man on the planet. Believe me, you are not in control. You know, no, no. forget the ego. Forget everything. You're going to shoot it. You ain't going to do shit. <laughs> Pardon me. I didn't mean to say it. But you are, you are not in control, right? So... I'm, I'm just shaking like crazy. And it was bluff charging us and banging on the street and screaming. I didn't hear a peep from either tent. And I have no time. At, I have no time. Uh, I have no realization of what time it is. I know that it's pitch black. And I got something in my camp that's screaming at the top of his lungs. And you could feel it stomping around. You could feel the, vibra- the vibrations stomping on the ground. So it was not happy. It didn't shut up. It kept screaming. And when we didn't respond, it came straight for us. And I mean, it came straight for us. It stuck out his hand and raked it across my brother-in-law's tent. You could hear the nylon zipping all the way across the tent. And he wasn't far from me. And it just kept coming. Now, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable enough to try to get people to accept the idea that these beings exist. And then it just gets weirder from there because it's just an improbable thing, but they do exist. It came straight for me. After it brushed my brother-in-law's tent, it stopped on my left side, on the left side of the tree, and it's still screaming, mind you. Now, this time, it's in my ear. It's right here. And I'm thinking, surely, it's going to rip me and the hammer off the tree and hammer throw me into the creek. I was quite certain that I would have been dead before all that happened because I didn't think my heart was going to hold out. It went around the tree onto my right side stuck its palm up and under the hammock on my shoulder and whipped its hand down my back. And it's screaming all the while. And believe me when I tell you, I don't even know to this day how my heart could survive that, but it did. It goes past the girl's tent. It didn't touch the girl's tent. It goes over to the fire ring. Now, the fire had long gone, gone out, but it starts rifling through the fire, like throwing things out of it. Not that we're trashy. We, we picked up everything. It kicked up the fire. I would never, ever in my life think that a completely hairy being – oh, by the way, let me just say this. I can prove the existence of a Bigfoot right now, scientifically. If you had in your DNA or your genes two things, if you had uh, gigantism in your family, 
Mm-hmm. If you carried that gene, and if you had hypertrichosis in your family and you carried that gene, you could produce a human Bigfoot, totally covered in hair. Hypertrichosis people, um, there's tons of them around still today. <laughs> this very day, it happens every single day. If you know anything about hypertrichosis and gigantism, it's still right. a thing. You know? So you combine those two uh, things in a, in a lineage, and you could have literally a Bigfoot. But this is not what it is. You know, this is, and I think maybe people with hypertrichosis have been, you know, uh, confused. Uh, people seeing people with hypertrichosis, maybe, you know, they could think that they're Bigfoot uh, or at least a juvenile Bigfoot or whatever. Uh, right. Because they're, they're ostracized from society. You know, they can't, they can't maintain a, a normal uh, pattern of living, so they have to, what, take to the woods, right? Or something right. similar. It, it could have um, the old wild man sightings from the, you know, like the 1800s or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Oh, sure, sure. Like JoJo, the dog-faced boy. Now, he had hypertrichosis. That's simply right. what it was. Right. Uh, but he was wild and running around, you know, because he didn't fit the society. Look at the, uh, look at the, the blue fugates of the Appalachians. I mean, yeah, that skin was, you know, blue, and right. they're isolated, right? So they're forced to intermarry, and they carry, they continue that that uh, gene in their body that produces uh, blue skin from oxygen deprivation in blood, right. uh, or something similar to that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Um... Anyway, let me get back. So this thing is circling the fire, it's digging in it, and it stokes the fire, a complete blaze. And when it did, you could see it stomping and screaming and throwing its arms up and circling the camp like, man, it was just, it was just aggravated that we were there. We, were in, we had to be in its backyard. Maybe it traveled this path every single night. Who knows? But it's just throwing it, and it is massive, but I'm not talking about fat. These things have no fat on them. They are ripped to shreds. These are not steroid muscles. Look what they eat. They eat wild game, right? Lean, wild game. They eat berries. You know, they're omnivores like us, but they eat a lot of deer and whatever, pigs, whatever they can get a hold of, right? But they don't have the trash that we eat. They are absolutely ripped to shreds, and you could see the muscles on and it's throwing its arms up in the air and it's screaming and stomping around the fire and they have no idea why it kicked that fire up maybe it was looking for food or something and it stomps back to this tree picks up a rock slams it against the tree stomps into the creek and up on the western mountain still screaming at the top of its lungs and i am absolutely breathless you know i i can't even imagine how i just survived that i was so glad it left and i'm i'm thinking to myself 
this can't be, this can't be, you know. <laughs> this just did not happen. And, well, <laughs> the story gets longer. So this thing is screaming up at the western, up on the western peak. And I hear something, and I can't tell you what it was. I can speculate what it was. Comes down the eastern mountain directly behind me and maybe stops 20 feet from my hammock. And all that fear and adrenaline that I just experienced that I was trying to calm just come flooding back at me. And I'm telling you what, I just curled up in a little fetal position. <laughs> and I didn't suck my thumb, but I'm telling you something. I felt like a child. And I had no idea what was behind me because I didn't have enough time to think about it. On the backside of the eastern mountain, two big adults started screaming at the top of their lungs. And I mean, they were those long, deep wails, right? And they just started going, and they didn't stop for an hour. Now, I got this thing up on the western peak screaming. I got two of them on the backside of the eastern mountain, long wails, and I got something behind me maybe 20 feet from where I am. I'm just about, that's about it. I don't even know. I don't even know why I'm still here today, man. But I am. Um, so the two on the Eastern Mountain, they were screaming for like an hour. The one on the Western Mountain finally shut up. But the two on the backside, they got a pack of coyotes wailing on, on the Western, the backside of the Western Mountain, and way up north, some old hound dogs chimed in but this went on for at least an hour and i'm just i couldn't move i, I just had all this adrenaline and believe me you think you're going to die uh when your heart beats that fast but i i just couldn't move so all i could do was sit there and take all this activity and try to get myself under control i spent most of the time trying to calm my heart which was very very difficult to do um, I don't know how much time elapsed. I know that I did not go back to sleep. When I saw first light, I just, oh, that's not it. Oh, my God, there's more. Because <laughs> there's, there's so many experiences. Anyway, this same night, all right, so I got, I forgot what was behind me. You know, I couldn't tell you. Right. Uh, probably, it was probably a younger Bigfoot or something. Uh, but I'm just saying, I, I didn't see it. Um, so I forget all about it, what's behind me. And I'm sitting there, and I finally calm myself down. And sometime during all this mess, I, I had to get up to take a leap. I mean, really. So I swing my feet over the hammock. Now, I hang my hammock high. I like to be up off the ground a bit. Yeah, me and too. so when my knees are over the edge of the hammock, I still probably have two and a half feet from the ground, and my feet are swinging. When I swung my feet over the hammock, and it just gets weirder and weirder, all I was wearing was a pair of wool socks. And they landed on something fuzzy and warm. Now, my feet landed planted firmly on something fuzzy and warm. And oh, I had no. the root rock and dirt under my hammock. And I'm thinking, what the hell is, what is this? Right. And I, everything just comes rushing back to me. And I'm just paralyzed again. And it, I've never experienced this ever in the woods, not one time, ever. And... I don't even know what the hell was under my hammer. I can speculate, and I'll get to that in a minute, but there was. Something was laying under my hammock, man. And I know it's an incredible story. They all are. I mean, people don't even believe Bigfoot exists. Who cares? They never saw one. 
or they never had an experience. Um, I tell you now, so, I, I believe every word you're saying. I tell you now, so don't feel like I, there's any kind of judgment. I I believe you at your word. Oh, sure, appreciate that because my friend, I wouldn't dupe you on this. Uh, I've been around them too too many years to know decades really in and out. You know of the experiences that I've had. This one was the most in your face. So I've got something under my hand, like, and I'm just I. I I'm just beside myself. I don't even know what to do. All I could do is sit there and shake. So I don't know how many hours passed. I don't. I saw first light hit the ground, and man, something under my hammock or nuts. I had to get up. I bolted out of the hammock. I didn't see anything under there. I go over to the fire, and I stoke it up, and the girls unzip their tent, and they said, "Uncle Dad, did you think that was a?" I said, "Hell yes." That's exactly what it was. I didn't even have to, you know, I didn't even let them finish. And they go, oh, my God. They said one of them says that she unzipped the tent briefly and saw, saw it when it stoked up the fire. And she said she just zipped the tent back up. She didn't say doodly. My brother-in-law, and he wasn't out. He didn't come out. He, I guess he was still sleeping or whatever. Hadn't heard a word from him. So the girls and I, we started looking around. We started looking around for any evidence that this thing was actually there. But, you know, it was there. It's in your face. Right. We found the rock that it banged on this tree with. And when I say banged on the tree, there was, you know, it was a lot of post oak and scrub oak and things in, in this area. Uh, there was one pristine, man, this thing was huge, probably 80 feet tall, if not taller, pristine pine. And, I, and the scales on it were probably an inch thick. And it was, we noticed it uh, the day before when we were setting up camp, how beautiful it was and how unscathed the bark was. It was just pristine. There was a hole in this tree and it was pushed in like an inch. And I mean, just one of these scales was gone and it just smashed in. Oh, wow. So my niece picks up this rock and she goes, look at this. And it fit in this hole, right in the hole where this thing was hammering on the tree, like a puzzle. And um, so we started looking for footprints. Now we're talking about, I'm in an ancient caldera. So it is just root rock and hard pack. We didn't see any footprints. We didn't see any hair. It was a bit of scuff off on some moss when it was when it stepped over the berm into camp, but you know it could have been anything. Uh, there was a lot of wild pigs, you know, in the area. Yeah. Um, so no hard evidence. I didn't have to. I mean, I knew what it was, you know. But we were looking for physical evidence, um, and there was, you know, the coals were were thrown out of the fire pit, and you know, obviously, you could see where it had had, had fished through the fire, uh, through the pit. And here's my – so here's where it really gets weird, if the story isn't weird enough. <laughs> this thing was screaming at the top of its lungs in your face. You're not escaping this. It is there. It got right next to me and screaming, and believe me, you don't want that to happen. But even if it was 30 feet away or 50 or 100 yards and it's screaming, that's frightening. But it was in your face. Screaming at the top of their lung, its lung. My niece didn't hear it screaming. There is no way that that happened. There is no way that they did not hear it. Wow. Um, I think their minds must have shut it out. You know yep. what they said? They clearly heard it coming down the mountain. They clearly heard it coming down the mountain. One of my nieces saw it when it kicked up the fire, but they didn't hear this thing screaming. When it was screaming at me, standing next to me, they weren't. I bet they weren't twenty feet from their from my my hammock to their tent, and they didn't hear it. But 
here's and it's even and it gets more bizarre than that. My other niece says, well, she heard what was going on in camp, the thing stomping around. She said she didn't hear the screaming. But she said an hour before all this went down, they were already in camp. And she said they, multiples. And they were walking around the camp, and she heard them. And they were they, – so they already had been in the camp, already yeah. checking us out. And I was oblivious to everything until the one coming down the, you know, the, the back – the eastern mountain stepped into our camp. So they were there. They knew we were there. Um, now, my brother-in-law, he finally comes out of his tent. I said, man, you better start talking. And he's always told me, if I ever have an experience with a Bigfoot, I'm not going to say anything about it. I said, why? Why wouldn't you talk about it? Anyway, and he has lived up to that all these years. The only thing that he will acknowledge is that something raked across his tent with his hand. I said, it's a hand. You know, ain't no four quadruped got a hand, brother. You know, and it was not human. <laughs> so anyway, that's all he'll say. That's all we got from him. Uh, we packed up our stuff. Uh, the girls and I know exactly what it was. Um, and, and we went out. Now, here's my, here's my theory. Okay. We're, we're miles and miles from civilization. I mean, if you went north, west, and east, you're 10 hours, 7 to 10 hours from getting anywhere to anything that resembles people. If you go south, you ain't, you ain't coming out until you hit Arkansas. And so we're deep. Here we are. We're camped in this backyard. And we shouldn't have been there, but there we are. It, it probably was following a routine. This is what, I'm, what I think. A permanent population is a small permanent population of Bigfoot down in this area. You can research online. Uh, and all the sightings that have taken place over the decades, you know, uh, in Missouri, down in this area. Um, it was probably following a routine. It came down the mountain to get a drink from the only water source for the next 10 miles west. Yeah. So I'm thinking it's coming down, going to get a drink, going to continue west and do whatever it does. We, it found us there in its backyard, and it was not happy. So... I figure it was a young male. I mean, it didn't have that, you know, it was ripped to shreds, but it had this uh, movement uh, like it was young. You know what I'm saying? So right. I'm thinking it was in its 20s. Probably going to ignore the advice of its parents, who, in my opinion, were on the backside of the Eastern Mountain calling them home, um, not to go into a human encampment. But right. it decided that it was going to do it and mess with us, right? It didn't get a response from us. So it came in and counted coup on us, like the Native American braves would do to the French trappers and the European settlers back in the day. And it, yeah. them, it was an act of bravery, in my yeah. opinion. This young Bigfoot, and I'm not saying small, I'm saying young, ignored the advice of his parents, come in, wasn't happy, enacted this, this bravery coup on us and then went up on a Western mountain and told all his freaking friends or whatever the case may be. It, to me, it was an act of bravery. And I figure it had a sibling, um, maybe smaller than that, uh, than, than this one, because this one was at least seven foot tall. Uh, and it was what came down behind me, uh, down the Eastern mountain and stopped 20 feet from where I was at. 
maybe it was a, you know, a, a young juvenile or something that was able to, I can't tell you if it was a young Bigfoot that got under my hammock, but clearly something was under my hammock. Mm. Uh, so I figured it was a younger sibling. Uh, the parents were on the backside. They were calling it home and get your ass back here where you belong. You know, don't mess with these people because you don't know what a person is capable of doing or think they're capable of doing. Right. Um, you know, so we, we're dangerous animals too, except anybody that's ever been into the up close, you know, I would say you better be humble uh, because you are not in control. They, if they, it could have harmed us easily. It could have killed us all. There is no question in my mind. There ain't a man on this planet that's strong enough to take on one of these people. And it chose not to, but it did want us to know that this was its backyard for sure. Don't come here. And um, that is my in your face encounter. It was incredible. Uh, one of the highlights of my life and the most terrifying time of my life too, by the way. Um, you know, so there's, I have more. Um, I'm still got this image running through my head. Oh, get this. All right. So I sold this area down in southeast Missouri in between, well, I don't want to give you the exact location, but it was in between St. Genevieve and St. Farmington. And I've been solo in this area for years. And before I met my wife, uh, you know, I was, I was always on my own, went out and did the thing. There was a young female. Now, she was pretty young when she started following me. And every time I went out there, she would pace me. I'd be on the bottoms down by the creeks, and she'd be up on the ridges because there's a lot of geological formations in this area with caves and hoodoos, you know, and ridges. So she would uh, walk the ridges and pace me. And she had a very, very soft cooing sound, you know, like an elongated, uh, more like a woo, not a coo, but, you know, she would like elongate a woo sound mm -hmm. and very, very soft. So if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't hear her. But I started hearing her right away. And every single time I went out there, she would be there. I never saw her, not one time, but I knew she was there. Hey, no doubt in my mind, that's what she was, right? I also found her footprints and photographed them, and they were small. They were within the human foot range, barefoot. But they were barefoot and wide, uh, but they were small. And so I just got this in my head that it was a young female, uh, very curious about human beings, not uh, aggressive in any way, but curious, you know, and will watch people. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but every time I was out there, she certainly did make her presence known. So I meet my wife, and, um, and I've got two younger daughters. Well, they're, they're in their almost you know, their 20s. But my youngest one, um, I decided to take my youngest uh, girl and my wife hiking to this area. Now, this is years later because this, this has been going on for like four years or so uh, oh, wow. between me and this, this female Bigfoot. Um, so I told them about it, and they're laughing at me. Ah, what the hell, Dad? You know, and, and my wife is skeptical. And so I said, well, let's go hiking out there. Listen, I love getting into the system before, before sunup. I love getting in there in the dark because that's when, you know, things are roaming around. You can right. see some stuff or hear some stuff, right? Anyway, we get there. It's pretty early in the morning. They didn't want to get in the dark. So we, you know, we made it still early in the morning. And my wife, she's shooting nature photographs. And I'm telling them, 
you know, hey, they keep your eyes and ears open. There's a female out here, and, you know, chances are she will make herself known, you know, if you just pay attention. And they're still laughing at me. And I'm like, okay, well, that's okay. You, you know, you laugh all you want. So we get midway through the hike at the highest point of the trail, and we're, we're sitting on these hoodoos, and I'm kind of stringing up a hammock, and the, and, and the girls are on the edge looking over the precipice down into the forest below. When they both turn their head at the same time and look toward the forest line, and I laughed. I said, what did you hear? And they said, tree knocking. And here, this is this is weird phenomena. You know, I, I don't give the Bigfoot the interdimensional thing. I think they're terrestrial. They've always been here, you know. But a lot of people subscribe to them being interdimensional beings. Right. I don't, um, but they do. And, and that's okay. I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I just can't rationalize that in my head at the moment. Um, so... Here's the weird thing. I did not hear her knocking, but I did hear her vocalization, and they did not. They did not hear her vocalization. So I said, well, didn't you just hear her? No. And so they're laughing at me. They're, you know, they're, and I said, well, you just heard the knocking on the tree, right? Yeah. Well, that's probably somebody else. I said, there ain't nobody else out here. And so we continue our hike. We're going through the caves and, and you know, running the area. We get down on the bottom, and my wife is shooting photographs of the creek and she's shooting up this one creek and you know we we pack it we get out of there long story short we pack it pack it in and go home but it wasn't until I don't know, a month later or so maybe uh, maybe a little later that my wife was reviewing the photos that she took and standing in the middle of this creek up the creek on the left side is this female she's got breasts perfectly symmetrical shoulders arms you could see one of her legs but there is, uh, in the foreground, there's branches of trees and vines. They're kind of hanging down, and they obscure her head just a bit, making it look distorted. Um, it took me a minute to figure out why her head looked like that. But I get this text from my wife, and she goes, I'm sick to my stomach. I think I'm going to throw up. She goes, look at this picture. And so she sent me a, a, you know, an enlarged shot of it, and there she is standing in the middle of the creek staring right at it. And um, I said, I told you she was there, you know. And that was the first time I had actually gotten a glimpse of her, too, because I'd never seen her, but I always knew she was there. Um, and, and bigger is the broad daylight. She's standing right there looking at it. She's got her arms uh, kind of hand over hand in front of her, uh, and, you know, her legs are just normal apart. But she's looking right at us. So my wife says, oh, I, I – I don't know what to tell you. There it is. And, you know, it's like any other photograph you see on the Internet. It is fuzzy. I mean, blame it on digital photography, I guess. But uh, it, it is fuzzy in appearance. However, make no mistake, it is the only jet black object in the scene. It, it's not a fallen tree. It is, um, yeah, of course we blew it up. We blew up the picture. Uh, to see if it might have been a, you know, a, like a lightning strike on a tree, and that might have been a stump. No way. It is the only black figure in the entire scene, and clearly you can see it's a female Bigfoot. Um, well, I would so, love that photo. Go ahead. I, yeah, go ahead. I, said, I, I would love to see that photo. I, I guess it's made a believer out of your wife, then, didn't it? Oh, absolutely, no question about it. She's she's diehard now. However. Yep. Uh, I don't mind sending you an image, but if you would do me the favor, 
of not putting it out on the internet. Oh, absolutely. That would be okay with me. Uh, if, I, and if you don't want to share it, that would be fine. You know, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, I will. I will definitely send you the image. Uh, we can talk about that a little later. Uh, sure. But I, I, I really want to respect these people. They're people. Yeah. You know, they're they're not. I mean, we don't even have the capacity to rationalize how long they've been here. You know, but they are people. Um, and it's going to take an encounter like mine for people to realize that, you know, human beings, us, homo sapiens, sapiens, to understand that. But until then, you know, you're going to see all these theories. But there she was, standing in the creek. So I got to looking at the image, and I looked over across the creek, and, man, it was a massive male with oh, his wow. back to us. Oh, he was watching her. You know, I, I don't know what he is to her. Uh, if he's a spouse or a guardian or whatever the case may be, maybe it, maybe that's his offspring. Yeah. He had his back to us. His right arm is either wrapped around a tree or it's leaning against the tree. The tree that he is on is only about 10 inches in diameter. This is a massive figure. It had to be eight, at least eight foot tall. Its left arm was hanging down. It's back to us. You could see its butt and legs. And its face, you could see like a semi-profile looking off uh, to the left a bit. It was looking away from us, kind of uh, behind a female. But the face on it was lighter than the hair on its body. Right. Um, but, oh, my gosh. And it's not, red, it's not as clear, as crystal clear as the female because she's just right out in the creek. Uh, it can, this was in the woods, you know, off the creek, just a bit up the, up the bank. And uh, it is walking her. I guess, you know, let her do her thing, being curious about humans, but is definitely watching her, you know, protecting her, I guess. But a massive male, I've never seen him, never heard him up until that point of seeing him in the photograph. Uh, And I I always assumed she wasn't alone, but I never heard any other one, you know. Yeah. Oh, and get this. So this place is filled with you know, fallen rock and caves and, and, you know, nooks and crannies that a person can crawl into, and a Bigfoot, too, right? There's it's big enough for, for Bigfoot to get into and, and, and shelter. So we found this crag in the rock, and we squeezed through it, and we're looking around, and there was this brand-new, well, I mean, it was pristine uh, turtle shell, right? It had the bottom on it. Yeah, we got photographs of it. There's no doubt. Um that it had no, it didn't look like that a rodent had chewed on it or anything with teeth had chewed on it. The entire turtle was gone, but the bottom of the turtle and the shell was still intact, all one piece, like the meat had just been plucked straight out of the, of the damn shell. And it was still stinking, you know. It was still, So I figure one of the Bigfoot, you know, just snatched it right out of its shell and ate it. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Um I guess there are other animals that can pull that off, but you usually see teeth marks on the shell or something, you know. Um, anyway, so that when she presented herself in, in the, this image, I thought, wow, how fantastic. All these years, you know, I've yeah. never seen one, and, and there it is in a picture, except for, of course, these two incidents. And going back to the Ozark Trail when this one came into camp, when I got home, I researched the internet and I was looking for uh, sightings in the area and I found 
that within a two-year period from when I was there moving backwards, there were five Class A encounters, not including mine, and uh, all in the two-county area from where we were at in on the Ozark Trail. So I'm, I'm here to tell you, these, these are people. They exist, um, and, and, you know, you got to be willing if that's what you want to do. Here's the thing about that night. I always think about Bigfoot when I'm in the woods, always. Since I was a kid, there's not a day that goes by. When I started hiking with other people, and, and in this trip in particular, the dynamic changed. And I, I, didn't, I only mentioned it once because we were down in Annapolis um, in a cabin before we took off on the hike. And I had mentioned to one of my nieces, whose family member of the cabin was, I said, there's been sightings down here, too. And she goes, yeah? And that's all I said the whole yeah. day. I, forgot, <laughs> I completely forgot about Bigfoot. I'm walking with three other people. You know, we're enjoying the scenery. Things are going well and fine. And then the night falls, and, man, all hell breaks loose, dude. And it was the most memorable, terrifying, exciting, exhilarating, greatest time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, you know, in, I'm sorry, go ahead. I do have a couple of quick questions about about the Ozark Trail encounter. Yeah. Okay. He came in and stoked that fire. Yes. Do you think he did that so you could see him? Man, I don't know what the purpose of him stoking the fire. Because, you know, you're talking about a being that is totally hairy, right? I mean, hair all over its body. You would think that they'd keep it safe distance from fire. I would think, uh, but maybe, who knows? I, 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 you know, you could speculate and say, yes, it wanted itself known, and well, it made itself known. I mean, because, it didn't Yeah, he he was screaming and stomping, and nobody's moving, so maybe he thinks, how about I just stoke the fire so you can see how big I am? Now you'll well, be man, really quick, you know? Oh, there is no doubt. I mean, that, that is that is a high probability. I mean, if you think about uh, my theory of it counting coup on us um, and this act of bravery, right? So, um, yeah, it could it could definitely have done that. I never in a million years thought that a totally hairy being would mess with fire, but it certainly did, yeah, and it kicked it up to a full freaking flame. I mean. A full fire, and I'm that was just incredible. Uh, but I've had I have heard other accounts of Bigfoot starting fires, um, and even you know you hear some things in California where the guy says one actually spoke to him in English. I mean I don't know about that, uh, but what if it was a hybrid? You know what if it was a human Bigfoot hybrid and had the capability of human speech? I don't think that the you know, they're, they're not like us. Now, obviously, when you right. hear one, you know better. Uh, but I do think that they have the capability of infrasound and uh, subsonic frequencies because right. yes. they can stop you in your tracks, man. They'll, by whatever means, screaming or even if it's infrasound and you can't hear it, you know. You get nauseous, something happens. Um, and so I'm not saying this is a... Um, interdimensional effect. I, they they have this capability, and maybe it's just the idea that the human brain cannot even comprehend what is happening to them, and this uh, you know this creates all this fear and, and stops you or whatever. But I'm right. telling you, I could not move. I could, absolutely could not move. 
Um, and I never, ever, ever did that in the woods, ever. The only thing that concerned me in our woods here, really not a black bear, um, I, was, I was more concerned about the return of pumas in our area. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be ambushed by a puma. Now, that'll make you think. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, but, the, but it has the capability of doing funny things to people. My nieces didn't hear it screaming. Impossible. That's impossible. Well, that led me you to know. my that leads me to my next question. Um, now, you made it clear that you don't think that these are like, interdimensional or anything, but I don't I know. Mean, how, not, yeah. I don't know how far you would prescribe to the to the the woo side of this, but how do you feel about mind speak? Do you think that it was just uh, creating yeah. you? Well, listen, we, we have that case. You're talking about, like, tele- telepathy communication and things like yeah. that? Yeah, telepathy. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a high probability that they have this capability. Um, it was put to me. I told this story to, to some people and friends of mine and things, uh, and one of them come up with this theory. What if – and because, listen, by this time, this is, you know, you're talking uh, 2016, 2018, things like that uh, – I had, I had been in the proximity of these beings most of my life, uh, just simply because I was there where they lived, you know? What if, and somebody posed this to me, what if they weren't, what if this Bigfoot wasn't there for anyone else but me? And maybe uh, because of my past experiences, I was on the same frequency as, as this person, this being. Um, and that is the reason I heard them, or it, and, of course, the others. Uh, and nobody else did. You know, they didn't hear it screaming. But they clearly heard it walk, which is so weird. Um, yeah. So the, I think they have telepathic community. Uh, listen, we, we all have heightened senses if we develop them. We, we all yeah. have that capability yeah. Um, here, here's a neat theory, I think, um, and this is, if you look throughout history, you can see this pattern. They're covered with hair, and most of the time, it's, you know, three, four inches, or whatever the case may be. I'm sure there's some shorter, shorter-haired ones out there or whatever. Um, I always found uh, National Geographic, uh, the albino gorilla back in the 60s, snowflake, to be a very intriguing, you know, creature, uh, but covered with hair, right? I'll just, I'll, so, I think... Because they're covered with hair, their senses are heightened because they have all these millions of antennas sticking up off their body that's sending them signals. They're going to know. They're going to know when you're there. You're not going to know they're there. You know, they're going to know you're there. If you look back at Samson, you know, when when Delilah cut Samson's hair, he lost all his power. And, And then you have the story of the Navajo trackers in the military when they did an experiment to see who, you know, how well they could track after one of them's hair was cut. One, once there's not one Navajo cut his hair, he couldn't track or shit. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. You can strike that. Uh, so I think that these beings, these, these Bigfoot that are covered from head to toe with hair, I think that gives them these capabilities, whether it be uh, telepathy or uh, these, these uh, sense, senses that they get of knowing. You know that you're you're in their area long before you know that they're there. Um, yeah. 
So there's something to it. Yes, I do think that they have something. Maybe it is in their uh, vocals, their vocal cords that produce these infrasounds or these subsonic frequencies. Uh, maybe this is the way they communicate without having to get audible, you know? Um, right. So I do think that, yes, they probably have some type of telepathy, and maybe that's what happened to me personally. Uh, um, I, I would not discount that at all. Um, but who can say for sure? You know, there I, I met Rocky Crab. Uh, or actually, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I talked to him on the phone, you know, down in uh, Bulk, Arkansas. So the legend of Boggy Creek and that whole story down there. Yeah. Uh, it was Rocky Crabtree's son, of course, was the one that had the encounter with the Falk monster. Uh, but I called him. Rocky had written a book. And I called him, and he invited me down uh, to his place to see a skeletal structure that they found in the woods. And have you ever read Lyle uh, Blackburn's book uh, about the Falk uh, monster? I have not read it. I, I ran into uh... – I think it was Lyle Blackburn at, at the Mothman Festival several years ago in West Virginia here, but nice. I, I I skipped his I skipped his table because everybody was around it, and I went down to Lauren Coleman and you know got the autograph and the whole with you know the whole nine with him. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Get that. Uh, in fact, I, I think it was Coleman's book, uh, "The True Story of Apes in America." I think it was Coleman. It could have been somebody else, but I, I you know I've read so many of the books over the it, years that uh, it, I got it on my shelf right now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it is. So it is. Coleman wrote that book. Yep. Okay. If you look in there, um, he'll he'll describe the Momo sightings, but he also describes in the next few pages that uh, it was down in Cairo, Illinois, which everybody from Cairo calls it Cairo. Um, that the man saw the white Bigfoot. Same month, same year, 1972. So I just figured the white one, or maybe multiple white ones. I mean, they were all migrating uh, south. And uh, it was at that point that they, you know, we saw him here and that person over in Illinois saw him. But that's in Coleman's book as well. And um, my story um, about the Momo incident is actually in one of Lyle's books. Uh, really? The, uh, yeah, the book on uh, the Momo side. He wrote, he wrote a book dedicated to that particular incident, which really uh, concentrated, uh, you know, the bulk of the material on the Mint Hill, uh, Louisiana siding. Um it's cool enough, you know, but yeah, he, he was gracious enough to put uh, one of my accounts in there uh, from the 72. Um, but yeah, they exist. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. They, I, I've gone on to, to photograph footprints and, and vocalizations. Um, you know, I don't have a hair sample, although my wife said she had her hands on one at, at one point, but someone else took it. Um, um, but you know, they're here. They're the permanent population. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, and I'm no scientist, believe me. Uh, they're people. They're not apes. Um, of course, they could be uh, hybrid. You know, uh, there could be some great ape lineage in it. I don't know. But if you go back to the Sumerian text, and especially uh, the uh, Enuma Elish, uh, mm-hmm. And the epic of uh, in the Enuma Elish and the epic of Gilgamesh. Um, if you read the scholarly texts on those, and even those that are not scholarly texts, you come across a creature uh, named Inkadu. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, uh, but he was hey. a giant wild hairy man, right? And yeah. he was uh, brought back to Gilgamesh, who was also, by the way, a giant. 
um, yes. but human being looking type, you know. Uh, so they pitted they it was a they pitted the strength test between them two and they they become fast friends, right? And right. this hairy wild man traveled with Gilgamesh all over the damn place until he was you know until he was killed. But um, so the story of the hairy beings goes all the way back to Sumerian times, and they even write. Uh, depending on who you read. Like if you read Stephanie Daly's uh, myth of Mesopotamia, uh, and now she writes as if they were myths, but she has translated this information herself and, and many others have as well from the Sumerian tablets, uh, which is, you know, academic, and, and you really have to know your language uh, to be able to do that. But even in her stories that she writes as myth, you can clearly see that these beings existed. One of the gods, I guess, um, and in my opinion, they're the Anunnaki, um, housed many of these hairy beings in his palace way back then, all the way back then, you know? And you're talking about thousands and thousands of years ago. So they're here. I don't think they ever left. Um, you know, the idea that they're Neanderthals is, uh, I, I don't think that holds weight. Um, I think perhaps that was a one of the attempts, but they're, they certainly had the, uh, you know, they were robust, but they did not have the height associated with these Bigfoot. Right. Um, yep. So uh, they could be, they could be anything. They could be uh, some homogeneous, you know, I mean, uh, Heidelbergensis or um, Denisovan or, you know, Naledi's probably too small and certainly Florentiensis, which was just discovered, you know, several years back, too small. But, some undiscovered homogeneous, or or it is discovered and it already has been tagged and then mistaken, you know about right. what it is. So right. here, um, I might have fallen you know, like, the, the the Smithsonian conspiracy. Um, what do you mean, like being swept under the rug or something? Yes. Yeah. Oh, of course. You know. Yeah. I mean, certainly. Bodies have been recovered. Um, yes. Certainly, they've been killed. Um, so somebody who is now recording it definitely knows they exist. You know, and there are so many accounts. I mean, you look throughout history, and and you probably know them all. I mean, look, you've got famous people encountering them, like Crockett, like David Crockett uh, was said to encounter one. Um, I even think Boone came across one. Yeah, he called, they were. Yeah. Go ahead. He called it the Yahoo. Yeah, I mean, and, they, and then look at all the tribes in North America. They all had names for the same being, no matter right. what it was. From the east to the west, from the north to the south, they all had names for it. And they considered them Tiatanka, big elder brother. You know, they actually, in some accounts, traded with them, you know, food for whatever the case may be. And if you look up in the uh, northwest, I mean, you've got um, – uh, Bukwas, which is the male version of Zanukwa, uh, the hairy giantess of the forest, and there's all over totem poles. They carve them on totem, you know, they did back in the day. Um, it's it's written, it's in their history. It's in every one of the indigenous tribes' history. So, you know, it's just up to the individual to have the experience, I guess. But once you do, you don't have to believe in Bigfoot. You know Bigfoot exists. <laughs> so. Anyways, you, yeah. you know, you have any questions or? Well, 
where do I start? No, <laughs> no, you you have done a great job, you know, giving the details for these accounts, and despite it being absolutely horrific for you, I am so glad that that, that you told me about this Ozark Trail encounter, and you know, there's going to be skeptics listen to this because you know half I, it's still a young podcast, but half of my buddies think I am just an idiot for believing in Bigfoot. Period. And when you there's wild boar in the area, and that you know you, you had sign everywhere. They, I'm glad you got eyes on this thing, or they would have just brushed that off as, oh yeah, wild boar brushed under his hammock and it scared him. But clearly, the the slamming the rock into the tree, the stoking the fire, and the screaming in your ears, there 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 was so much evidence that this was more than just. Mistaken identity football board, you know. Not to mention, it laid its hand on me. <laughs> no, that's the most incredible thing ever. I mean, you know, like I said, yeah. the people who who are hesitant to believe in a good friend, and I and I try not to use the word believe. Um, I try to know um, right. rather than just believe something. So uh, the people. That don't believe it, they just haven't experienced it, and they right. may never experience it. You know, it took me um, a great many decades of my life to have an in-your-face encounter. Although I've been around them before, you know, never actually saw one in my face or touched me for crying out loud. And this thing could have destroyed us. It could have crushed me, but it chose not to because it knows or it knew that I couldn't do anything, you know, and I didn't have any ill intentions anyway. But, right. you know, uh, and the female oh, in the other in the other area, she's just curious, man. She's curious about humans. And I would love to start a habituation scenario with this female. But will it take place? I don't know, because I'm definitely going back and have been back since. Um, but I think what I'm going to start doing when I go down there is try – to leave a gift of food or something and see what happens, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, you cut out. I, I'm sorry, I said that was going to be my next question was, have you tried gifting with her over the last four years? I, I haven't, uh, but I there's something that I want to do. Um, it's just, you know, life takes over and you got to do things. You got to make a living and yeah. – um, you know, I'd, I'd love to get back down there. It's not really close uh, to where I'm at. It's about an hour away, I guess. But um, so, yes, it's something I want to do in the future, most definitely. I, and I think it's possible because I've never seen uh, such a curious being, you know, Bigfoot. Uh, most of them, you know, they don't want nothing to do with you. You know, you haven't encountered them or you're, you're around your family, you know, their family. You might want to be humble. Uh, for the most part, they'll stay away from you, but... This one comes out, this female. She comes out, and she wants to, She wants to. I don't know if she wants to interact with you. She wants to see you. She's curious, you know? Right. So if I, could, if I could develop some sort of a habituation scenario, oh, that would just be awesome. And I've heard of accounts way down, uh, straight down south, right on the uh, Missouri-Arkansas border, uh, where several people have started habituation scenarios with them, you know? Uh, but I, I personally have not done it yet. It is definitely something I would, I would love to do, and uh, we'll, we'll concentrate on that in the future. 
for sure. Well, I, I would love an update if you get any kind of response from her. Oh, if she's still in the region, she'll be out. She just she just loves people. Hey, um, yeah, so I want to send you uh, some images. Um, and how can I do that? Well, you can you text me later. Or something? Yeah, I, I can text you. Um, I guess that's just the number I called. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll shoot you a text or you can email me. It don't matter either one. All right. And and you know, um, I would love to hear the podcast uh, when you broadcast it. Uh, but sure. you know, I'm I'm a tech idiot. I have no idea how to access your your podcast. How to, how would I do that? Well, I have links. Do you have a uh, do you, what do you have an iPhone or? Yeah, I got an iPhone. Okay, I'll send you a link that will work for Apple Podcasts, and there's probably okay. a podcast app already on your phone, and so you just click on the link and it'll open. It'll take you straight to it. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure I've got more. I always get excited and animated when I talk about these things. It's just something that I've had a lifelong. Um, you know, interest in, and so, you know, if you ever think about any questions that you have or, you know, give me a shout. Yeah, sure, absolutely will. I I really appreciate you, Dennis, for doing this for me. Um, I saw that your podcast was, was fairly young, and, you know, I hope it helps to, to uh, lend some credibility uh, hey. to your podcast. You I, know, uh, I Think so. We'll be in there at the big league with Sasquatch Chronicles. Do you do you listen to Sasquatch Chronicles? No, you know I I haven't listened to a single podcast. I haven't oh texted Now that I know, you know this is something I can do. I probably will, but I haven't. Oh, well, I'll send you some more links. I'm I'm going to send you some links to uh his name's Wes Germer. He he's up in the Pacific Northwest, and he has a he has a podcast. Sasquatch Chronicles, and they he has over 600 episodes out. He's been out for years. And every one of them are, are fantastic episodes. I mean, some of them will just it'll absolutely scare you. Well, I'll tell you, I um, I know a great deal of the account and encounters that are out there and reported. There's something, you know, that people like you and I, we follow. Uh, but there are stories that I haven't heard, and I've always loved to uh, to hear them, you know, always like to get an update, but, uh, most of the time I'm on the current side and, you know, I usually, usually know when something like that takes place. Absolutely. If it's recorded, if it's recorded, right. of course. Right. Well, all right, man. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you get off here. I know you, I'm, I'm probably kept you on here longer than you wanted to be, but no, no, no. I, I enjoy talking about it, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I am going to have to, uh, take it off the line, but uh, anytime, you know, just give me a shout. You want to talk about it, um, and I, I will certainly keep you updated if I if I have any more experience. Hey, please do, please do, and I, be careful out there wherever you go. Hey guys, if you want to help support small business, Dennis actually has an Etsy store uh, and an Instagram account called Third Rock Designs, and from there he sells amazing jewelry, um, like bracelets of rare minerals. Um, Lesser common gems like quartz, rose quartz, tiger's eye, those those kind of things. It is gorgeous work, and it's Third Rock Designs. Check him out. Maybe you'll find something you like on there. Um, he didn't ask for me to do this. He never mentioned it. I just stumbled upon it, you know, on our back and forth on Instagram, and just I fell in love with the site. 
my wife and I are going to be regular customers, and I just wanted to uh, give him a little shout out there. Hopefully, you guys will check him out and uh, find something you like. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to share an account with us, or you'd just like to discuss a topic that fits into the show, email me at thebumppodcast at gmail.com. That's thebumppodcast at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of me on our Facebook page, which is Bump, and you can get a hold of me also on our Instagram account at The Bump Podcast. However you want to get a hold of me, I don't care. Uh, I'll get back in touch. So until next time, thanks again for listening, and don't stop believing.